0: have, to gather together as your people, to worship you, to study your Holy Word, and to listen to what you have to say to us today. And again, Father, we pray for every individual and every family represented. May your peace be upon each one. And for anyone here today who's never made a commitment to turn their life over to the Lord Jesus, that today they will come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray for those who are listening, or who will listen over the internet, a podcast. Anyone without Jesus as Lord and Savior, they'll come to know him today. Speak to us now, Lord, we pray, by thy Holy Spirit, to the honor and to the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 13 through 16, but we'll begin reading at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. And so we've looked at the Beatitudes. It's commonly referred to here, the first several verses, uh, the Beatitudes. The Lord Jesus is teaching the people, of course teaching us. And after sharing these Beatitudes in this Sermon on the Mount, as it's entitled, he then begins to give examples or to paint pictures, if you will, with, with words as to how These beatitudes are to be lived out in the life. And so we look, first of all, at uh, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. When you consider salt, table salt, it's sodium chloride. That is the combination of these two different elements. Now, what's really interesting about these two elements, if a person ingests sodium by itself, they'll die. If they ingest chlorine by itself, they'll die. But when the two are combined together, they create salt. You follow? Isn't that amazing? God, in the way that he has created things, you see, he has a plan and he has a purpose. And life is to be lived according to God's standards. Because when life is not lived according to God's standards, the results are deadly. You follow? Now salt, purposes, and uses. Well, salt was used as a preservative. Still is used as a preservative today. Today. It's also used to season or to flavor food, and also as an antiseptic. And you've heard the the statement, rubbing salt into the wounds. And uh, even today still, doctors will say, sometimes if you have a little uh, irritation in your throat, to warm with, to, uh, to gargle with some warm salt water, yes. It was also used as a commodity. Back in ancient times, People would trade, they would, they would trade or barter with different quantities of salt. And you may have heard the, the, the term, the phrase, well, he's not worth his weight in salt. Okay? You follow? Because it had a certain value to it. And then it's also used to create thirst. We know all about thirst living out here in, in uh, southern Nevada. But then there are various conditions or qualities or types of salt. You can have just regular table salt, but, you know, you can also get that sea salt. <laughs> but again, that even the sea salt is a combination of sodium and, uh, and chlorine or chloride. It can be pure, healthy, which is then for safe and useful. Useful. But it can also become contaminated or defiled, unhealthy, unsafe, and useless. And the word that, that is used here with respect to the salt losing its, its, its flavor or its usefulness has to do with it becoming contaminated, actually. Because sometimes when the salt would be gathered, there would be too many dirt particles Combined together with the salt, and then it was not useful. And so it was thrown into the streets, into the roadway. Because if it was thrown into a field where a farmer was planting crops, it would affect the fertility of that soil. You follow? So it was thrown into the streets because really it was useless. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, you, we, God's children, are the salt of the earth. We'll talk about that a little little more in a bit. Let's move on to the the next verse. He also says, you're the light of the world, the light of the world. That's what he calls his children. Now Jesus is the true light. But we as his children are called lights as well. And I think I mentioned this on, uh, on Wednesday. You've been out at night, I'm sure, if not here, someplace else in the world, where the night was very clear and when you looked up you saw the beautiful stars all shining. And that's what we're supposed to be in this world of darkness, in this world of sin shining like stars, shining with the light of Christ. Now the source of light is God himself. We read that over in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, the Bible teaches us that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then as you continue reading in the book of Genesis, the Bible teaches that God then created two great lights The sun that ruled by day and the moon at night. And we know that the moon actually reflects the light of the sun. But the source of light is God himself. So the various types, sunlight, moonlight, you can uh, light a a candle with with a flame and it provides light. Oil lamps with a wick and oil and electric lamps and all the various different types of, of of lights that there are And the purpose what are the uses well to dispel darkness and illuminate a room or a runway i was just talking with uh, brother noel here he worked for uh, united airlines yeah, I, I, I don't know how comfortable I would feel if, uh, if the pilots had to you know, land those planes in the dark. <laughs> but uh, those lights are used to, to light up that runway, amen? To outline a path or a walkway, to, to accent a yard. You drive around in uh, the neighborhood at night and you'll see many yards have, have various lights uh, accenting their yard but also to ships of an island or a coastline. Lighthouses. Amen? So they serve many, many different purposes. Light also provides warmth and fosters or enhances life. Sunlight. And the sunlight, that scientific process known as photosynthesis. And the radiation upon the... the uh, foliage and trees and that process that occurs within within the leaves and they release then oxygen. Trees are a good thing. Trees and plants. And as we've mentioned before, God thought of everything. Amen? And if if you've raised or grown many plants even indoor plants, what do you notice about them? They always grow in the direction of the sunlight. But light also represents insight, understanding, wisdom, knowledge. And notice, again, the Lord calls his children the light of the world. So let's move on to this third point here. The Christian has salt and light. We said then that, that salt is used as a preservative. And we, as God's children, are to be in the business of preservation. It includes, but not limited just to these things here, to preserve God's truth. God's people are to be people of truth. And we never apologize for proclaiming God's truth. We are to be the people of of truth and we are to preserve that truth secondly we're to preserve God's moral standard the standards is outlined in the scripture the world can call us what it wants to and treat us as it may we are to both preserve the truth of God and the moral standards of God we've said it many times God is not confused about gender. And we are not being judgmental in the sense of condemning people. We have no right to condemn anyone. But we have the responsibility and the wonderful privilege of proclaiming God's truth and upholding, preserving the moral standard of God. And then third, preserving God's created order. There is an order to God's creation. God is not disorganized. God is very organized. Now Cheryl gets after me because I'm not as organized as she is. (laughs) You know, and every now and then, you know, we might leave something out of place, (laughs) But it doesn't stay that way for long. (laughs) But God is very organized. And we bear responsibility to ensure that we preserve His created order. While at the same time knowing that the day is coming when all of this is going to be burned up. But we still bear responsibility being people of order. Now, in that order is also this, and we learned this this morning in our Sunday school lesson. Christians are to be model citizens. Christians are to be model citizens. And we bear the responsibility to pray for every leader not only in our own nation, but every nation around the world. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with them, you follow? But we are to pray for them. And we are to love them in Christ and pray that they will come to know the Lord as their Savior. But a Christian has no right to break the law. Unless a law is enacted that violates the will of God, the word of God. Then our allegiance, of course, is always to God. But we don't have to be obnoxious about it. And we don't have to be disrespectful about it. And we should never be arrogant about it. Ah, but we should be bold, that is, bold in the Lord. That's a part of preserving God's created order. And then notice again, B, we are to be the seasoning, if you will, the seasoning of grace in the world. We're to live our lives with the season of grace. We're to be graceful people making a positive difference in relationships. We're supposed to be helpful and beneficial. Now, those Beatitudes that we read, in, not in one verse does it say we have the right to poke someone else in the eye. And what I mean by that is is to point out somebody else's faults, or to tell them how terrible they are, or to tell them what a failure they are, what a miserable human being they are, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on. You know what we're talking about. Why do we find it so easy to do that? We find it so easy to criticize other people. I don't read that here, that that that's what Jesus told us to do. A dear friend of mine, my brother Dave Meacham, used to say, God didn't call us to be fruit inspectors. He didn't call us to be fruit inspectors, telling everybody where they're out of sorts. But he did call us to be peacemakers. Oh, that beautiful word in the Hebrew language. And the word that's used, shalom. Shalom, the peace of God be upon you. We're not supposed to be troublemakers. We're supposed to be peacemakers, right? Bringing reconciliation, making a positive difference. How about providing a healing influence in the lives of others? We're to be the ones who point the way to the Prince of Peace. Mm. and then portraying the real good life, the real good life. Oh, today's a big day in the sports world and in all kinds of homes. And I got to thinking, you know, when did they change? And, and I, I think the game starts at 5 o'clock. Is that correct? It's about 5 3:30. something? 3.30. 3.30, all right. <laughs> I stand correct at 3.30, all right. But... Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they used to play a little earlier in the day? The, you know, because uh, the Super Bowl was usually the day when church attendance was real yeah. low. <laughs> now, you know, most people like a, 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 you know, a, a festive, very you know, competitive sports uh, game, etc. Right? But... to be portraying the real good life in those commercials. right? In the commercials, remember the, the phrase was grab all the gusto that you can." <laughs> <laughs> but the real good life is found in Christ the Lord. The real good life is living a life of truth. A life of service a life that is pleasing to God. And then the lights, the lights shining in the darkness, and this world is filled with spiritual darkness. And so many people live their lives that way. But Christians are to, to be involved in providing a clear pathway, and that pathway, that direction, is God's holy word. Both preserving but also proclaiming and teaching and sharing it. But sadly in so many churches we we have churches that are filled with baby Christians. Baby Christians. Now what would happen to a little baby who was starved? who wasn't fed consistently or properly, it would affect the baby's health, their growth, their temperament. Everything about this this little baby that would grow into a child would be impacted in a very negative way if they weren't given proper nutrition. And yet, that's the case in so many churches with Christians. They come to know the Lord as their Savior, but beyond that, they you know they're irregular in their church attendance or in their, in their Bible study. They're irregular in actually praying or, or studying. Oh, but if some terrible thing happens, oh Lord help me. Help me, help me. Right? And of course, God is, is merciful and kind beyond measure. And he loves each one of us. The amazing thing is is how much God loves us. We can't even describe it. We can't even begin to describe the infinite measure of God's love and mercy. But we're to be sharing God's word with not only one another, but with lost people as well whether or not they want to hear it. But in a way, in a way like salt, that that creates a thirst in their lives for the water of the word of God. And then proclaiming a clear warning, you know like the lighthouse that serves as a warning to the ships. We are to provide that warning to lost people Because when we we preach and when we teach and when we share the word of God, we're supposed to teach the whole thing, not just the real pleasant parts, but the unpleasant parts as well. You say there are unpleasant parts? Yes. Jesus preached more about hell than anyone else. In all of the scripture, Jesus preached about hell. This sweet, loving, kind, meek, humble, forgiving, compassionate Jesus, he preached and taught about hell. And we're to share with people that there is a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And every now and then you'll hear someone, else say, well, this is hell right here, what could be worse than this? Especially in the last two years wearing that bloody mask and, right? No, this is not hell. This is not hell. This is earth. And the Bible is very clear. This is earth. But there is a hell. And it awaits those who reject the Lord as their Savior. But the Bible also goes on to say that God doesn't want anyone to go there. He's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all should come to know Him. God wants to give us life. But we bear responsibility for for giving a clear warning. You know, sometimes people are they're, they're unwilling to just let the Bible speak, and they, so they, they, they try to improve right, and make the Word of God more palatable. You have no doubt heard that in many denominations now, they've taken songs, that make reference to the blood or the blood and the cross—they've taken those out and they, and they don't sing those because it's it's distasteful to them. Well, the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and there is no heaven without the cross. There is no forgiveness, there is no life without the cross. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And you've heard people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was mean and cruel. No, he wasn't. And no, he isn't. But the God of the New Testament, you know, is just so much more merciful. He's the same God. But as we've mentioned, he, gives a clear warning. Don't live your lives that way. And we're to give that warning as well. (coughs) Excuse me. Lastly, we're to be portraying the radiance of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. When we do good things, it's not to, to get everybody to pat us on the back. Now listen, if you're one of those people who has to be complimented for every little thing that you do, you have a problem. And the problem is you. You're full of yourself. You understand? And if the only time that you can be happy is when somebody says, Oh, you've done a fabulous job. We thank you so much. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't one another. Of course, everyone likes to be thanked or, or to be recognized. That's, that's a part of human nature. But really part of the fallen human nature, if you will. But it's right to give credit where credit is due. Even the Lord does that. The Lord does that. But we're to serve to God's honor and to His glory. And sometimes that means that we have to be insulted for him to be honored. Sometimes that means that we have to suffer for him to be honored and glorified. Sometimes that means that we're going to be offended or neglected, but he is honored and glorified through that. And like the disciples, we should say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that that he found me worthy to suffer on his behalf. But we're to portray the radiance of Christ. It's not our radiance, but the Lord's radiance, because the Spirit of God who lives and dwells within us illuminates and empowers our lives. And it's that illumination, that power, that presence, the presence of God, Christ Jesus, that makes the difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people with whom we come into contact. We're supposed to to shine with the the radiance of Christ. I think I mentioned to you once before that uh, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher from many, many years ago, he, uh, he had a college. It's called the Spurgeon College, and he would train young preachers. And so he was teaching them, and he said, when you're preaching about heaven, let your face just radiate with joy. But when you're preaching about heaven, your regular face will do (laughs) But sadly, sadly, so many Christians, instead of radiating with the brilliance of the Lord Jesus and the joy of heaven, well, they're portraying something else. Now. Let's get to the last point here. These are two descriptors, if you will, that Jesus uses in terms of the the Christian life. How do these apply to us today? The church's salt is to preserve and proclaim God's truth and influence the world for good. The church is to influence the world for good. Not to compromise with the world. You follow? Not to do things the way that the world does things. Not to follow the world, but to follow Christ and to provide an example, a picture, if you will, of how God wants us to live. We're to be Difference makers. That is positive difference makers. Now out in the world, you find that people demand their rights. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. They demand their rights. Well, this is my right. So the other day, Cheryl and I we were driving somewhere. And we were stopped at a, at a red light and the light turned green. And just as I was getting ready to, to pull into the intersection, because I, I was gonna make a left-hand turn, I noticed that there was a, a car coming, so I, I thought, well, I, I needed you know, to wait until they, they came through. And out of the periphery of my eye here, shoo, this car came that had run, the light had been green on our part for a long time, but they had a red light for a good long distance, they were in a van. Just drove right on by, and I thought, man. And I pulled out, well, it wouldn't be here today. Now, I could have demanded my rights. You follow? That's right. But it would have been dead right, probably. And yet, that's how people in the world are. It is my right! They want to demand their rights. Hmm. The church is supposed to be portraying the character of God, the nature of God, the humility of God. Stop for a moment and consider how humble God is. When Jesus was born, he was born in a state. And the shepherds were the ones that the angels came to and said, Today was born in the city of David, the Savior, Isaac the Lord. It wasn't to the king in the palace. It wasn't to all the you know the, the religious leaders, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. No, it was to the lowly shepherds. Humble. Our God is humble. And we as God's people are to be humble. The church as a light is to illuminate the pathway that leads to and acknowledges Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior. Now hear this. The Bible teaches there is no other Savior. There is no other Messiah. Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only Messiah for both Jews and Gentiles. And you may not realize this, but in this day and age, in this century, as well as in centuries gone by, great numbers of Jewish people have actually come to know Jesus as their Savior. And we've mentioned this, in the first century the church was made up of all Jews. And Jesus is himself Jewish. And through the centuries, rabbis have had the the eyes opened, and they've come to know Christ as their Savior, even today. Yet that's not very popular, because what happens is they're then disowned. They're then disowned, and they're treated very poorly, and in many cases shunned by their families as well. The church is to glorify God. That is to give honor, worship, praise, to focus attention on Him, and to acknowledge His sovereignty. God is sovereign over the entire universe. And we, as the Church, have the tremendous responsibility to to preserve God's truth, to reflect God's standard of living, and to bring honor and glory to him. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. The invitation really is the Lord's invitation. I'm singing the song Jesus is tenderly calling. Now the invitation is, is given as an opportunity for anyone who has never received Jesus as their Savior to come to Him. To give their heart and their life to Him. To receive forgiveness of sin. Hope. The blessed hope of Christ. The gift of eternal life Jesus paid for our sin at the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended back to the Father. And He's coming one day. But the invitation is also for those who have been playing Christian. Not really been committed Christian. It's an opportunity to rededicate your life. Also for those who may have accepted the Lord as Savior, but they've never been baptized. And we're we're waiting until you know it gets a little warmer, so that uh, we we can baptize you. We don't want to you know freeze you to death when we put you down. Or maybe you've been attending church here you're a Christian, you've been baptized and and, and all that, but you've not officially joined, the invitation is also for you. You say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is, is when you're an official member, you have a vote. Membership matters, it counts. You have a say. You disagree with something, you can voice that disagreement respectfully. You have an idea. You can share that idea. We want you to serve. Now well, let's stand, please. And as we sing, you come to the Lord. You make your commitment to Him. Whatever that commitment might be, you come to Him. <laughs>